Praise the Lord. What a joy it is to uh, be with you this morning and to, uh, and for all the godly ones that came out to Sunday school to be with you this second time. And so uh, it is a joy to be in this pulpit where Terry faithfully preaches week in and week out. And, and thank you for the privilege to open God's word with everyone. I was told they wanted me to spend a few minutes just telling about Uganda. And so let me faithfully do that. For those of you who are here you, uh, earlier, you can uh, think about something else or just listen again. So uh, first of all, let me introduce my family. This is my wife, Danielle. And, uh, and my kids, come on boys, you love when I introduce you. And, uh, and my boys right here, come, uh, come on, come on, come on, come on, uh-huh. And uh, <clears throat> so there is half of my family. The other half are not here. I've got eight children, three biological and uh, five adopted. Those are our legal children. We have a bunch of illegal children in Uganda as well. <laughs> Uh, which, uh, you know, the, uh, Uganda is filled with abandoned uh, children, and we have the joy of, of caring for another 35 that would call us mom and dad, just in God's goodness and grace that we get the pro- privilege of discipling up. And uh, actually, let me introduce to the Cup family. Uh, you guys, go ahead and stand. Come on. Uh-huh. So... Uh, there, there is half the family. Uh, Damon served with me in Uganda for seven years. Damon, Damon and Jen Cup. They're out of Dan Kirk's church here in Fort Worth, and uh, they served with me for seven years. And they've come back to care for their mom, and uh, and kids are going to college and all of this type of thing. And and uh, so it's a joy to have them with us this morning. Uh, we have two missions in Uganda. One is to <clears throat> reach a small village community. In the middle of, of, of Uganda, a place called Kubamitwe. Everybody together, Kubamitwe. Here we go. All right. What a good group you are. Uh-huh. Uh, so Kubamitwe, which literally means hit the, the head. And so uh, they used to do executions in our village, actually, and, uh, and by hitting the head. And so we've come now to hit them with truth in the head and not with other things. Uh, but our village was is a community that just needed that was was uh, without God, and there everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, and it had come to the point where they were so tired of doing what was right in their own eyes that by the time we came with the gospel message saying there is a king, don't do what's right in your own eyes, do what he wants, and uh, as a result of that, they were just ready for the the truth. And uh, we began to show them God's way of doing things and the hindrance that they had in doing God's way, which was sin, and, and showing them how to be set free from that sin through the gospel message. And, and lives just started changing and, and being transformed. And today we have a church of 400 in the middle of a little village where everybody has to, you know, primarily has to walk to church. And uh, we do send a bus out that picks people, but uh, we've literally seen God change. And, and one message I always bring back to declare, the fact of God as king, discipling the world, that message, that methodology, it works. We've seen it. Sin brings pain. Sin brings what? Pain. 
where the message of Christ and Christ as Lord and King transforms and brings joy. Amen? Amen. Don't ever forget that. We've seen it. Lives that were shattered, having no stability, are now loving life as God has intended it because they're following in obedience to Christ. And the stability of a family and men loving their wife as God called and, and, a, and a wife uh, serving and caring for her husband as God has called them, it's the best. And we've seen it transform our society. And so that's our first mission. <coughs> I have water. Uh, our second mission, which is to uh, impact our whole, uh, God's church in Uganda, we've established by means of... Um, Working with the Baptist Union of Uganda. And, uh, and so through the Baptist Union of Uganda, we've established this incredible relationship where we are doing multiple things to strengthen a denomination. And as a result of that, we, uh, we have the heart of a whole denomination, 1,500 churches, where God is enabling us to strengthen them. I am part of actually even the national leadership now, and I travel along with the president everywhere he goes. Uh, and together we're trying to build the union on God, a high view of God, a high view of his word, and let the supremacy of scripture reign in Uganda and through the Baptist Union. And as a result of that, we have a partnership. Uh, we established a pastoral training center, as you see, where and you can see some of the buildings. That is beautiful, but they're far more beautiful in person. So you're all invited to come see it. And so uh, in that pastoral training center, uh, we grab Baptist leaders, all of these different leaders. They send me their pastors. We train them up and we send them back out. And we have established phase one. We're still looking to do phase two and phase three. And we are looking for godly men, godly businessmen who want to invest in kingdom purposes by helping us with the secondary school and building houses for that, that uh, pastoral training center. But God is uh, is richly blessing. Uh, our first year, we had 40 students. We have 60 students ready to come here in uh, in January, and the Lord is just blessing, super abundantly blessing, despite me. And uh, but it's just it's radical. Let me just say that the fields are white under harvest. I mean, it is crazy. Some places they're like hoping to just get somebody. For us, they're like. They're all there, and, uh, and, and now it's organizing in a strategic way that's focused on building the church and strengthening that church, and, and we're organizing the saints to that end. We invite you to come. You cannot explain SOS Ministries in five minutes. Uh, we do have an hour version that we want you to go and see. Those of you who missed, do penance and go back and, and watch the, the, the longer version. But we would love that. And we'd love that just so that you hear our hearts and you understand what we're about. We, when we come here, we don't want to just be cheerleaded on. We want, we want partners in this thing. We want people who are going to bleed with this and aid us in what we're doing and, and feel what we're doing and seek to help the initiatives at hand. And, and I say that for your good, not only our good. And you'll understand what I mean as we go to the text before us this morning. And so let me do that. Let me take you to the text before us as a way of transition. I want to start our time off. And, and, and by the way, I want to ask all of you, 
to go to our website. You think help SOS, right? Help SOS. Go SOSministries.com. And when you go there, a thing will pop up for you to put your email address in. That will give you our updates. And uh, we ask that you get our updates and be a part of us. Let us feel you. Every once in a while, uh, email us and just say, hey, how are you doing? How can we encourage you? And we'll take six months to respond, but we will respond. <laughs> uh, and so please uh, engage in what we're doing, know what we're doing, and pray for us. And for those of you that can, can aid and, and help on a financial level, we would richly request that. SOS is a ministry I started, so I, that means that I have to worry about the funding of that organization as well as my own resources. And so it's, it's a burden that we share joyfully, but it is a burden. And so what you do, the greatest way you can love us is by helping. And, uh, and so we're going to do a missions trip. Uh, Terry just doesn't know it yet next summer. And uh, no, we want to do a missions trip, get some of you guys out there to see what's going on firsthand. So we, we pray you'll sign up. <clears throat> I want to start our time by reading a hymn from the great Isaac Watts, who is the grandfather of English hymnody. Hymnody. Thank you, my bride in the front. Okay. <clears throat> I, want you, I want you to listen to these words of this hymn. It was written in 1721. Today we're 2020, turning 21, so almost 300 years ago. And I want you to see the difference in mentality from those days to our day. Listen to the words of this hymn. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Are there no foes for me to face? Sure, I must fight that fight if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I will bear the toil, endure the pain supported by thy word. Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer, though they die. They, sh- they see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. When this illustrious day shall rise and all thy armies shine, In robes of victory through the skies, the glory shall be thine. This hymn conveys the heart of believers of old. Men who understood that they were servants of the king. Men who were willing to die for that service. They had this insatiable, unquenchable passion for their master. And this undying commitment to his service. They understood that they were in a battle. That they were at war. And that this war was bigger than themselves. They understood that living within God's kingdom was essential. 
living for a future kingdom was necessary. And they were committed to use all of their lives for that service, even if it brought death. They had an eye for the eternal. And they wanted to use all their God-entrusted resources and talents and abilities toward the sole purposes of exalting their master and king, Jesus Christ. And when you hear such a hymn, and such, and, and compare that with our mentality today, it's easy to ask ourselves these questions. Were they balanced? Should I really live with such a mentality? Is the mentality of 300 years ago the same mentality that I should have in the 21st century? These are critical questions. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can be confident that we live with a different perspective. We live for work, or we live for school, or we live for sports, to watch the Dodger game and them lose in a really terrible way last night for anybody that watched, to live to play. In Africa, many live to survive. But what should a true follower of Jesus Christ live for? What should we live for? I ask the question with great honesty. The verses before us, Jesus is going to answer that question. And it's really important we understand his answer. Because it is a mind shift from where we are at today. But if the church is going to advance the cause of Christ in this day, in this hour, in these moments, we must hear these words and respond accordingly. In the section before us, Jesus is going to provide two commands. How many commands? Two kids go like this. How many commands, kids? Two, you're the man, uh-huh. Two commands. Two, you got that big man? Okay. Not only two commands, but then he's going to provide three illustrations, three pictures or illustrations. Two commands and three illustrations, uh-huh. Okay. I like this kid. I don't know who he is, but he looks cool. And so that's the passage before us. I want to start us with the first command. The first command, look at it with me in verse 19, and I will drop you into the context as we move. Command number one. Read it with me in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on, everybody together, on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. There is the first command. We should not store up treasures on earth. Now, I'm a missionary speaking this message. 
I don't have any agenda other than when we get to verse 21, the motivation is there for me. It's not so that you give to my ministry. That's not the motivation. The motivation is for your health, not for mine. And I'll help you understand that as we get there. And But this is the command. Don't store treasures on earth. In light of the flow of this sermon, we need to understand, we need to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean by this statement? And what you'll understand is it's broader than just what you do with your money. What does he mean by this statement? Do not store up treasures on earth. Well, we know from chapters 1 to 4 that Jesus has come. And he said, look, I am the king. That's the message of chapters 1 through 4. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that was promised and here I am. I am he. Then in chapter 5, he comes and he begins to describe for people how who is in the kingdom and who is not. And when you see in chapter 5 verses 1 through 12, he tells you who's in. Who's in the kingdom? Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are more. Those who are gentle. Those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. These are those who are in the kingdom. Because they shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They will be satisfied. Those who are persecuted for righteousness. Those who are peacemakers. These are who's in the kingdom. And then he says how we are to live in this kingdom. He talks about us letting our righteousness shine in such a way that we would what? Glorify our God in heaven. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, so be that. But he says, hey, he gives him a warning in chapter 6, verse 1. But with your righteousness, make sure you don't practice it before men. Look at 6.1 with me. Beware of practicing your righteousness, what? Everybody come and everybody read. That's part of the homework. Here we go. Ready? Beware of practicing your righteousness, what? Before men. Beware. And I would just tell you, my brother, and beware of practicing your righteousness before each other. Jesus says this because he hates it. Why? To be noticed. Otherwise, look what he says. You have what? Everybody, you have no? Notice, righteous deeds, reward. This becomes the theme of chapter 6, verses 1 through 17. He gives three illustrations of this. One illustration is that of, seen in verse 2 through 4, of praying. When you give, look at verse 2. When you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites. Don't do that. He says at the end, so that you'll be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their what? Reward. Don't do it like that. But instead, when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you are giving... Do it in secret so that your father who sees what is done in secret will what? Are we seeing righteousness and then we're seeing no reward, reward, no reward, reward. 
<coughs> if you do it before men, no reward, right? If you do it before God and you do it in secret, what? Reward. Everybody go, woo! All right, you never thought I'd get your congregation to do that. But then the second illustration is seen in verses 5 through 15. Second illustration is when you pray, don't do it as the hypocrites who do it before men. There will be no what? But do it in secret. And there will be what? Reward. Looking back at verse 6, the third illustration he gives is when you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. If you do that, there will be what? They have their reward in full. They get their glory from people that's in full. But when you fast, wash your face, and the God who sees in secret will what? Reward. Then you come to verse 19, and he says these words, Do not store up for yourselves on earth. What does he mean then by this statement? According to the immediate context, these treasures on earth must be referring back to the earthly reward, the earthly reward given to hypocrites. Don't be like them seeking man's praise, man's eternal, I mean, earthly reward. Don't do that. Don't do that. Were they, as a result of their appearance before man or their performance before the eyes of man, they received this honor. Don't do that. But based on what comes next, we see that it has to involve not just the honor they receive. It has to involve more than that because the the wider context says that these earthly possessions consist not only of honor that comes from being seen by men, But it also consists of physical possessions. You say, well, why? Well, because according to this, moth and rust what? Destroy. Thieves break in and what? Steal what? Not honor, but what? Possessions. And not only that, but we see the next context after verse 24. He get in the issue of what? Worry. Worry of what you're going to put on, what you're going to eat. So the whole context is referring to storing things on earth, whether it be honor as a result of living for the eyes of men. Don't do that, but rather live for the eyes of God and seek to invest in heavenly concerns, heavenly possessions. Therefore, the command is clear. He is exhorting his followers to not be like the hypocrites who are living for the eyes of people, living for this present world, and stupidly living to stockpile earthly treasures. This word used here for storing up is the idea of stockpiling. I always think of the picture of Ebenezer Scrooge. You've seen the cartoon version, right? All of those coins being stacked up, right? That's the idea. Don't sit there and stockpile all of these earthly rewards. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's the idea. 
Don't live like them. Don't live for such treasures. These treasures are only temporary. They don't last. And why do we not eat, do not live for those? Because things are eaten. Things rust. Literally, they're eaten. Probably by bugs and moths. And literally, uh, don't, they break in. The word is dig through. Someone's gonna find your possessions. They're gonna dig through your walls and, and grab your possessions. Don't live for what doesn't matter. That doesn't last. Don't do it. The point is clear, earthly possessions don't last. So don't live your life pursuing them. Our king is commanding us, who are his servants, to live differently for a different kingdom, a different reward. And this brings us to the second command. Command number two. Look, look at it with me in verse 20. The second command is this, but store up what? Come on now, you get quiet on me, don't do that. But store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Where neither moth or nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. Here we see... Instead of living for earthly treasures, Jesus commands his followers to live to stockpile heavenly treasures. Woo! Well, what does it mean to stockpile heavenly treasures? According to the context, this is done by performing your righteousness before the eyes of God. Living for God and Him alone. Shannon, be more specific. Well, according to the context, it's through giving to God and God what? Alone, in secret. When you give, you store treasures where? When you do it for Him. When you pray and you pray to Him, what do you do? There's reward. When you fast to God and God alone, there's reward through doing any of your righteous deeds for God. With the motivation of pleasing and glorifying your master, you are storing treasures in heaven. So when you work for your boss and you do it in such a way for God, not for them, you what? You store treasures in heaven. It's changing our daily activities to be motivated by God. Note this. This is a command. Jesus is commanding his followers to live for his glory, motivated for his purposes. He's demanding them to proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And notice he is contrasting his point. Don't do this, do this. He's comparing how ridiculous it is to live for the present world. 
in contrast with how smart and intelligent it is to live for things that matter. This statement gives hope to my brothers in Africa. And it gives hope to us here. Do you know that you could be extremely rich in this earthly home, but while being very poor in your eternal home? Let's take your house and put it into a mud shack. And imagine you're bringing me to your home and you'd come up to the mud shack. How embarrassed would you be? How about in heaven? What is stored there for us? While others can be exceedingly poor like in Africa, but super abundantly wealthy in their eternal home. This is what the passage is implying, is it not? Why would we get so caught up in what is fading to the neglect of what is unfading? That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 11.4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath. Proverbs 23.5 reveals that when you set your eyes on money, it's gone. It, for wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and flies toward heavens. You can read Luke 12, 21 or, or 1 John 2, 15 to 17, which describe very clearly that we do not love the world or the things of what? The world. If the love of the Father is where? In us. This is the reality. Oh, dear friends, hear this loudly and clearly. To live for heaven is not everyone becoming pastors, everyone becoming missionaries. Uh-uh. To live for heaven is that each of us use whatever resource God has given us out of his love to, in return, serve him with that. It is using your time, your energy, your money, your mind, your pen, your skill, and so on and so on for the purposes of serving and loving people with the motivation of loving and glorifying God. So, let me be practical. So, if you're a teacher and you use your knowledge and invest in a student's learning for God... You store treasures in heaven. When a mom loves and serves her family, she stores treasures in heaven when it's motivated for God and by God. When a farmer takes crops and gives some of those crops away to love his neighbor, he stores treasures in heaven. When a casual worker uses all of his energy to serve his boss, he stores treasures in heaven. It is using any of our resources for God to serve others. By the way, aren't those resources our talents that God has entrusted? They aren't yours. They've been entrusted by God to be used what? For Him. Can a child wash dishes for his mom out of love? Yes. Can one disciple another follow to follow Christ? Yes. 
Can one give resources to a local church to support or, or support a mission overseas? Yes. When it is done for God, it is rewarded in heaven. I was talking with Terry yesterday. I'm like, Terry, your church is too small. Come on. Let's go. Get some vision. Come on, Terry. And he says, oh, you come. Let me show you. And he shows me these plans. I'm like, that's about time. Let's go. Look, you guys are on a major street, both directions. When the elders roll out a plan to put up a bigger church, everyone needs in. Sell something and get in. Let's get the building up because the second you put a building up here, you know what's going to happen? You're going to fill it. But right now is the time where the disciples get all entrusted so that when you come there, you become a discipleship factory because you're all invested, all a part of the kingdom mission to advance the cause. Amen? That's why we're here. That's why we're saved. That we might proclaim Him in a world that doesn't know Him. Now, let me come to the critical part of this section and the motivating factor for me as to why I communicate it to you and to my own soul it's seen in verse 21 look at verse 21 the first word is a four that is a gar in Greek he's going to explain why why we must listen to this command and live for heaven why look what he says and this gives us the first Illustration. Remember, we got three of them. This is first one right here, and that is the illustration of the treasure. The reason why is for verse for where your treasure is, what there is your there your heart is also. First illustration is that of a treasure. Why must our treasures be in heaven? Because where your treasure is there's where your heart will be did you hear that there is where your heart will be jesus is lovingly coming to his servants and he's telling them listen live for heaven why so that your treasure will be on me. So that I will be your treasure. There's a principle that's shown here. And this is the principle. What you grab will grab you. Everybody, come on, grab something in heaven. Come on. What you grab will grab what? You. Don't ever forget it. What you are grabbing on right now, what you're grabbing on right now is grabbing you. Do you see that? Do you hear that? This is fearful for me. And it should be fearful for you. What you grab will grab you. If you treasure sports and you grab them, then what will grab you? Sports. I woke up this morning mourning over the Dodgers. It doesn't matter. 
How can they lose? But see, that fills our minds. Why? Because we're what? Treasuring it. If you treasure boys or girls, what's going to treasure your heart? Those will grab you. If you treasure money, money will grab you. Listen, I worked in the business world for eight years. I know this to be true. There's nothing greater for your own soul than to give money away. Look at money. And look, I'm speaking businessman to businessman, okay? What I realized is the more I gave, the more I wanted to give. The more I wanted to work. Why? Because it had a purpose. But when you get and you get, it rottens here. What Jesus is saying must be heard clearly. Our hearts must be filled with this reality that we will treasure what we grab. If we aren't living for heaven, then other things will fill our hearts. This is why people struggle with addiction. Because they, they, they're, they're, all they're doing is thinking about it. All they're doing is filling their minds with these things. This is why people get addicted to pornography. You start looking at these things and what fills your heart. Pornographic ideas. And what happens? Before you know it, you're doing pornographic things. Someone fills their hearts negatively with someone. I, look, I love my wife. I adore my wife. There is no one greater than my wife. No one more attractive. No one. Okay, we won't go there. I love my wife. But if I start putting my treasures in another woman, what's going to happen? I'll lose my love for my wife. And every one of you men will lose love for your wife. But when I dedicate all of my energy to this beautiful woman, what will fill my heart? My wife. When you dedicate yourself to school, school will fill your heart. As a Christian community, Christ must be at the center of our hearts. Therefore, living for Him and living for heaven must be our greatest aspiration. I love a story told by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He speaks of he, he speaks of this story about this farmer who joyfully runs into the kitchen and announces that his finest cow has given birth to twins. He's so excited. One of the cows was brown and the other one was white. And he said, and he said that he felt inclined to give one of those cows to the Lord. His plan was that he would let them both grow up and when they became mature and big in size, he'd then sell them and keep proceeds from one and give proceeds to the Lord for the other. His wife said, well, honey, Which cow is the Lord's? The white one or the black one? He responded by saying, it doesn't matter now. We'll raise them, we'll raise them together and decide that later on. So a month later, the farmer comes back into the kitchen, this time slowly and sadly, 
His wife said, well, what, what's wrong? He responded by saying, I have bad news. The Lord's cow has died. Well, this is so often how we look at life. We give God the extra and not the primary. We give him the second and third and fourth fruits and not the first fruits. I love you, Lord, but with the leftovers. When God commanded Israel, he commanded Israel to love him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. And to give God the first fruits. Why? Because he knew that what you grab will grab what? You. And if you don't grab him first, then there will not be second and third fruits. Rehoboam, we find out in Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 14, that he did evil because he did not set in his heart to seek the Lord. Have your hearts been fixed to seek the Lord? Are you treasuring him? This leads us to a second illustration. Illustration number two. Look with me at the eye in verse 22. And we'll move quickly. For the eye is the lamp of the body. So that if your eye is clear. Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad. Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness. This second illustration again answers the question why a Christian must live for the purpose of storing treasures in heaven. Why? In the same way that the human eye has a relationship to the body is the same way a believer relates to his treasure. What when an eye looks at something, then that eye fills his heart with what he looks at. According to this illustration, if the eye is control, if uh, if I look at something in darkness, darkness will fill my heart. If I look at something in the light, light will fill my heart. Let me give you an example this way: our minds. And our hearts are like this sponge. What we soak them in will fill us. If I put pornography in, pornography will come out. You say, you're allowed to do that. It's just water. <laughs> and this carpet isn't like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but guys, listen. What we put in will come out. What you put in will come what? Out. This is something I remind myself of all the time. I don't care if you are the most godly man here. You have this thing called a telephone. And that telephone gives you images and pictures all the time. Listen, what you put in will come out. Don't forget it. And if you aren't serious about what you put in, 
then you'll find what comes out and it won't be good and it'll destroy your family. You be open about those things. And that's the whole point Jesus is making. If you don't seek me first, you don't seek heaven first, then what is going to come out won't be good. So seek me first. That's the point. Here the king of the universe is commanding us to live for heaven and the things of heaven so that heaven will come out. Are you hearing the cry of your master? Are you hearing the cry? What we meditate on will control us. If you meditate on sports all day, all you're going to talk about is what? Sports. It's funny when you... When men get together, men talk what men talk about, and women talk about what women talk about. Women talk about what? Kids. Why? That's what you're dedicated to. Men talk about what? Work. That's because that's what we do. Theologians, we get together, pastors get together and talk about theology, because that's what you're dedicated to. What goes in comes what? Out. So Christ might, must be what we pursue. So that what? Christ comes out. And that's why we crave with the hymn we sang today. Once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest. But now the alone I seek, give what is best. This is my earnest plea. More love, O Christ, to thee. More love, O... More love to thee, more love to thee. Oh, that we might fight to that end. That brings us to the third picture, and the third picture is that of a master. You go from a treasure to a light, to an eye rather, to a master. And I want you to see this declaration that is made here. Look with me in verse 24. No one can what? Serve what? Two masters. You either, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. There's a principle in business, and that is when you have, you can only have one job at one time. You can't get a job here and then get a job someplace else. Most job descriptions will have that kind of language because they recognize you can't do two jobs at once well. But here what the statement that's made here that said very clearly, you can not serve what? Two masters. Everybody say it with me. You cannot serve what? Now say it louder. You cannot serve. Now, now say this to yourself. Don't say it to me now. I cannot serve two masters. Say it to your own heart. <laughs> Say it quietly, but that's... <laughs> I cannot serve two masters. To try and serve two masters at the same time is impossible. It's impossible. 
problem many of us are having in our relationship to Jesus Christ is we're trying to serve two masters. We really believe in our minds. We really believe in our hearts that we can serve Christ and the world. We really believe we can serve Christ and friends or or Christ and money or Christ and this boyfriend or girlfriend. We really believe we can serve Christ and whatever you want to put and sin, sports or whatever. Hear what Jesus is saying. You cannot serve two masters. You can't. You must choose between them. Choose between loving one and denying the other. There's two responses required according to verse 24. Verse 24 makes it clear that you need to love. You either hate the one and love the other or devoted to one and despise the other. Positively speaking, that you need to love. That speaks of a strong attachment or interest in your master. It speaks of cherishing or clinging to your master, holding him fast, taking pleasure in him. Is that what we are to our master? Pleasuring in him? Clinging to him? Cherishing him? Devoted, this word is to have a strong attachment to, to zealously cling, the same idea, totally devoted to him. How can we faithfully love and be devoted to him? It starts by choosing which master you're going to serve. It involves surrendering your life and your affections wholeheartedly to Him. And practically it means that we saturate our minds. We fix our eyes on serving Him exclusively. This starts by spending time with Him each day. It starts at running to Him during our free time. Filling our whole environment with Him. It's a type of devotion that saturates our lives. Where we get godly men around us and friends around us. And and biblical preaching around us. and, And godly music around us. And church activities and Bible studies. We fill ourselves with everything. If you're a businessman and you you're traveling all over the place. You have to be aggressive in these things. Because you're saturating the world. I, I, I was in Asia all the time with temptations all over the place in the Asian culture. But you have to run to Christ. You have to fill your mind up. And you have to use your resources to that end. That's why he ends here by saying you cannot serve God and wealth. Because what you do with your time and what you do with your money is what you do. And who you love. So your time and your money must belong to Christ. And everything needs to get yielded to that end. If we had time, I'd go into a bunch of practical things we did in a seminar just the other day. But look at your time. Your mornings must belong to God. Your nights need to belong to God. The rest can belong to work. But at the end of the day, work must belong to God. Just like a newly married husband devotes himself to his new bride, we devote ourselves to our eternal Savior. Not only 
that loyal, that, 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 and not only are we to do that positively, but listen negatively. And this is helpful to my own soul. I hope helpful to you. Negatively, it says we hate. What is it to hate is to despise or to have an indifferent attitude to something other or someone. To despise speaks of looking down on something or someone. These words are strong words and are conveying a zealous disdain for anything that draws our attention away from Christ, away from our true master. It's a radical contrast. Distinguishing between loving or hating, devotion or despising. There's no compromise. There's no mediocrity. The passion for one's master must be all-encompassing. No one can serve two masters. If you go back to the nation of Israel, what did Joshua say? Destroy the other gods. Don't keep them. Burn them, destroy them, tear down the other altars. Why? If you don't, what's going to happen? You'll begin to love the gods of the world. And I think that is the state of the church today. This is not a Christian nation. This is a worldly nation who live for pleasure. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, look at the movies you watch. Filled with what? Radical sex scenes and gore. Stuff that people a hundred years ago would never dream of watching. Why? Why do we do it? Because we what? We like it. And so what do we, how do we need to treat that? We need to despise it. We need to hate it. We need to run from it. I'm not looking for us to create legalistic rules. I'm looking for you personally to create biblical convictions. What hinders us from loving Christ needs to what? Go. And what causes us to love Christ needs to come. Jesus is declaring the same message that Joshua declared. When he said... Today, <clears throat> choose today in whom you will serve. The gods or the pleasure of our fathers? The Lord or Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say that, but he said, or God. If you're going to choose, you must put away the foreign gods and incline your heart, he says in Joshua 24, 14 and 15 and 23 and 24, or incline your heart to the Lord to serve him and obey his voice. The heart behind the Savior's exhortation is total allegiance, exclusive loyalty. Jesus does not want to share his love for another with another. He wants us to be devoted exclusively to himself. He wants us to grab him.
Remember when Jesus commanded Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what did he say? You shall not, you shall worship no other gods for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. My dear friends, what are you treasuring? What is your greatest treasure? There's a clear command. Do not store treasures on this earth. Do store treasures in heaven. Why? Because what you treasure, what you grab will be your treasure. What your eye looks at will fill your heart. Who you choose to be your master will dictate your life. Oh, my brethren, what do we need to cut out of our lives that we might seek him? Amen? Let me pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for these words. They minister to my heart. Oh God, may I despise and hate the things of the world. May I enjoy your creation, but change my motivation to enjoy it because I love you. Instead of letting the enjoyment become the end all. Help me enjoy vacations with my family as worship but not as what I live for Father I pray that you would help my brethren here live for the eternal so that their heart might be fully yours that you'd help me and my family do the same oh God give us more love to thee Please, we ask this for the praise and glory of your name, we pray.